0: Well, thank you, Daniel, for that. I hope what he was playing resonates with you. Because Jesus lives, I can face tomorrow. I hope that is your confidence and your hope for whatever the future does bring. We continue our journey through the Gospel of John this morning. As we begin this morning, I want to ask the question for you, and that is, what do you value the most? What do you value the most? Now, I'm not asking for the Sunday school answer here, because if you're at church, i ask you what you value the most, you're going to say, well, I'm going to say Jesus here, right? But what do you really value the most here? If you look at your thought life, if you look at your calendar, if you look at your online banking profile, if you look at what keeps you awake at night, the things you find yourself dreaming about and longing for, the things that your conversations are most about, if you looked at all of those things, not the Sunday school, but what does your life show you really value the most? Now, if we're honest, in our hearts, there's a lot of things we might find there in that. For some, it might be money or material possessions, when our bank account's bigger, we want bigger houses and newer cars and the newest piece of technology and the nicest clothes. We want things that are always newer and bigger and better, and our hearts never seem satisfied with what we have. For some, what they value the most is safety. They'll do anything to avoid a risk, and they'll not do things they know they should do and even want to do because they're afraid of dying, or even of just being hurt, or of even just doing something wrong. For some, what they value the most is fitting in, cultural norms, peer pressure, not wanting to be seen as different strange, odd, not being like everyone else. And so you see that reflected in their speech, their dress, their possessions, their words, and their mannerisms. And I think in a lot of our hearts, what we might find if we value the most is the opinions of others. We call this people-pleasing or fear of man on this. worrying about what others think. takes the obvious forms of pure pressure of trying to do what others tell us to do. But sometimes it means we don't do what God has called us to do. We disobey God because we're trying to fit in. We're trying to please other people. We're trying to impress people could be a number of things. So friends, I don't know in your heart, but if you look in your heart, what do you value the most? Again, when you look at your schedules, you look at what you talk about, what you dream about, what keeps you up at night, what does your heart value the most? Is it Jesus or is it money? Is it safety? Is it opinions of others? Is it fitting in or something else? Well, with that and we want you to turn to John chapter 12 or find John 12 on your Bible as we continue our journey through the gospel of John. Because this morning in John chapter 12, we're going to see the temptation to do everything I've just mentioned to value all those things instead of Jesus. We're going to see the temptation to value money more than Jesus, safety more than Jesus, fitting in more than Jesus, the opinions of others more than Jesus. In our story today, we're going to see one man who chooses to value something more than Jesus. We're going to see the deadly effects of when he values something instead of Jesus. We're going to see two people in the story in particular who are going to choose to put aside all these things. They're not going to value their safety, their money, the opinions of others, and they're going to value Jesus instead. And we're going to see a beautiful picture... It's a legacy that still lasts today. And so we come to John 12, I simply want to ask one question for us to consider this morning. It's that simply this. Do we value Jesus more than everything else? Do we value Jesus more than everything else? We're seeing this play out here in, in John chapter 12 this morning in account of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Just when you think we were done with them, we spent three weeks, and then we had a fourth week on them, and then we're going to move on here. But with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, we saw over the last three weeks we was working through chapter 11 that God and his sovereign good plan gave them this trial. He allowed Lazarus to get sick and Lazarus to die, and he did not stop it. We saw him do this to help others believe. We also saw it to help their faith, to help them believe. And we saw two weeks ago that God was moving them beyond the what-if moments of life, not getting hung up on the what-if moments, but instead looking to who Jesus is. And then last week we saw that God was calling them to believe, even before they saw, even before they understood, he called them to believe first. So when we come to John chapter twelve and continue talking about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, I want you to look as we talk about Mary and Martha in particular. What are the things they could have been tempted to value instead of Jesus? So as we look through Romans, John twelve, what are the things they could have been tempted to value instead of Jesus? But what do they value? And then when we come to Judas, what should he be valuing? But what does he value instead? And we have a tale of two very different approaches to life in this. So we're going to start in John chapter 11. We're starting in verse 55. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. John chapter 11, starting in verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? He will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 nair and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Verse 9. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word once again. Lord, we say it week after week, but Father, we do treasure this because apart from this, we'd have no understanding of who you are. God, thank you you've not left us in the dark, but God, you've revealed yourself to us. You've shown us who we are and who you are and what it means to believe and to know you. God, we ask you to do that once again this day, that your words of your scripture would come alive to us, your Holy Spirit would just illuminate them and let them come alive in our lives. And Father, I don't know what's happening in the heart of each of the people in this room, but God, you do. And I pray today, Lord, through the work of your Holy Spirit, you will take your word as it goes forth, and you'll speak to each of their situations, each of their hearts, each of their lives, as only you can, that we might be the people you desire us to be, and ask it for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. So again, the question I want to consider from John 12 this morning is, do we value Jesus more than everything else? Now the context, what are we coming to here Chapter 12, verse 1. Friends, we are beginning the most important week in world history as we start this chapter right here. This is the most important week in world history. Look back in verse 1 of chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. This is six days before the Passover. What Passover is this? This is the Passover where we'll have the Last Supper where we'll have Jesus with his disciples in the upper room. This is six days before the Passover, as, G- as Judas leaves to betray This is six days before Jesus is arrested, is tried, and he gets crucified. This is the final week we're now approaching before his crucifixion. And it's such an important week that John devotes almost half of his gospel to these six days, which means we'll spend about six months over the next six days of Jesus's life as we continue to work through The Gospel of John. On this, during this one week of Jesus' life, which which will take us about six months to work through, we're going to see the anointing of Jesus today. We're going to see Palm Sunday. We're going to see the cursing of the fig tree. We're going to see long conversations with his disciples. We're going to see the Lord's Supper, the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion. All that is coming in this one week in the life of Jesus. But where we are for today, the setting of the beginning of this week is back in chapter twelve, verses one and two. Again, let's look at what's happening is to set the stage for what we're going to talk about. (coughs) In chapter 12, verse 1, in six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So what's going on here? Remember, Jesus had withdrawn to the countryside. There was a lot of opposition against him. The Jewish leaders had said we need to arrest him and plans were in place for that. So Jesus had withdrawn to the countryside. Now he is moving back ...towards Jerusalem, and don't miss the therefore in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Now what's that therefore connected with? Back in verse 57, end of chapter 11, the orders were given to arrest Jesus. Therefore, Jesus leaves the countryside to go to the place where he was to be arrested. Friends, this is not an accident. It therefore means that the time has come. The language through John is the hour has come. Jesus is fulfilling his mission. He is moving towards his crucifixion and God's sovereign plan... For him to die. And on the way to get himself be arrested, he stops at Bethany here, about two miles outside Jerusalem, to see this family that he loves so much. As he meets with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Bethany on his way to Jerusalem, where he will face his crucifixion in six days, he's gonna, the, the people there are going to come face to face with a question of what they value the most. So let's see who, who values what in this particular historical account for us in John chapter 12. Let's start with Martha and Lazarus. Look at verse 2 here to see what's going on. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Martha and Lazarus value Jesus enough to give a dinner for him. It says to honor him, it says actually to for him. It means to honor him. They're doing a dinner in his honor on this. In typical fashion, Martha is the one hard at work. You know, we kind of give Martha a hard time sometimes from the other account where Mary is sitting at his feet and Martha's hard at work. But why is Martha hard at work? It's because she values Jesus. She's using her gifts and talents and what God has given her to bless the Savior here on this, working to do what she could to serve Him. I love it. One author says this, she gave her perspiration, Mary gave her perfume. I think that's kind of a pretty picture here for us, is we don't need to get on to Martha for working. She's doing a banquet to honor Jesus, to feed Jesus as He's on His way to Jerusalem to die in a week. She's doing this because she values Him. Lazarus is obviously part of all this, and I so wish God gave us a little bit more here. Don't you wish He knew what Lazarus talked about with Jesus? They're sitting around the table, Lazarus has been raised from the dead, and the one who raised him to life is sitting next to him, reclining at the table. I would love to have heard that conversation, but God and his providence did not choose to share that with us. But what's important for us right here in this, for Martha and Lazarus, is this dinner for them is very costly. They value Jesus enough to do a costly dinner, not just in terms of money, but it's also very costly for another reason. Look back in chapter 11, verse 57. Now the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was... Where Jesus was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. So what were the orders to the Jewish people? If you find Jesus, you must report him so we can arrest him. Martha and Mary and Lazarus know where Jesus is, and do they give the information over? They become accomplices to the crime. They choose, instead of handing him over, to do a banquet "...for his honor, to honor the one who raised Lazarus back to life, to honor the Savior on this." And friends, this is incredibly risky for them. And this was not a secret feast. Look down at verse 9 of chapter 12. "...when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only in on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They apparently didn't sneak off to back room to do this feast for Jesus." word quickly spreads even to jerusalem only two miles away and the crowds start coming jesus is with lazarus we got to see this thing and the crowds come this is far from a secret feast and this could be incredibly costly for them look at verses 10 and 11 so the chief priests made plans to put lazarus to death as well because on account of him many of the jews were going away and believing in jesus lazarus's life was in danger as well why was well, living proof of jesus's miracle I mean, they can't deny it. The people who hate what Jesus is, who Jesus is can't stop the fact there was a dead man, and he's now alive again. You have to remember, a lot of the religious leaders were Sadducees, and they denied there was a resurrection. The fact that Lazarus was there was a kind of in their face, you know, opposition to their whole theology. They said, there is no resurrection, and a dead man came back to life, and so they've got to get rid of Lazarus now because he's challenging their theological understanding and, well, he's proof of Jesus. Well, if you know that the leaders want your friend Jesus arrested and your brother killed, what are you going to do? have a big feast, celebrate publicly. But that's what they chose to do right here. Why? Because they valued Jesus more than their safety, and they valued Jesus more than their financial stuff as well. They value Jesus the most. What about for Mary? Mary comes in the story here in verse 3. So what does Mary value? Look at verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So what's going on here? Notice again the word therefore in verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound. Why is Mary doing this? Because they're honoring Jesus. They have a banquet for him to honor him. Therefore, she wants to be part. She wants to honor. Martha's honoring him with serving. And so Mary wants to find a way to honor as well. And so she's going to give a gift to Jesus. Not just any gift but a gift of perfume, of ointment, of sin oil. It was commonly used by the Jews in celebrations. It was not an oil that was used in funerals. It was an oil that was used to celebrate something. She's celebrating who Jesus is. She's celebrating what Jesus has done. And she picks out the most expensive thing she can find. So she took a pound of expensive ointment. This was a Roman pound. So picture a Coke can or Dr. Pepper can today. That's about how much perfume she had in this can. But if you notice when we read earlier, when Judas objects, why did he not like it? because it cost 300 denarii, that was a day's wage for 300 days. This was a year's salary worth of perfume in that one bottle. This is probably the most expensive thing Mary and Martha and Lazarus owned. Again, what was in this one little size of a Coke can cost an entire year's labor. So think about your annual salary for a minute, and think about some item that you own that costs as much as your annual salary, and that is what she's now presenting to Jesus. We don't know where she got it. People speculate, well, maybe it was a family heirloom. Maybe it was the family pulled the resources. We don't know, but that's not important. What's important is she took the most expensive thing she could get her hands on to give it to Jesus. And what does she do with it? She pours it out on him. She pours it on him. She values Jesus more than her best possession, her money. And so she pours this out on him. Now for clarification, when we think of an anointing of Jesus, sometimes our minds go to an account in Luke where a sinful woman comes in and anoints Jesus. That's not the same thing as here. This took place in a house in Bethany. That took place in a Pharisee's house. These are two totally different accounts. There's two different anointings that happen. This, though, is the same account recorded for us in Matthew and Mark. This is where Mary comes in and anoints Jesus' feet. So just keep those clear in your mind of of who we're thinking about here on this. And we know from Matthew and Mark's account, she pours it on his head as well as his feet. Why does John highlight she's pouring the ointment on his feet, the perfume on his feet? Because John's wanting us to see her humility in this. She values Jesus so much, she cleans his feet. She does so with a task that was only the lowest of slaves to do it. Even the lowest of slaves in that culture did not want to wash the feet. That was considered below even the lowest of society. And what does Mary gladly do? She gets her most expensive possession, and yes, she pours it on Jesus' head, but she also pours it on his feet, on the dirtiest part of his body. There's an act of humility. But yet she does so with her hair. She cleans his feet with her hair. Friends, we kind of pass over this, but in Jewish culture, this was unthinkable. A woman's hair was never let down in public in Jewish culture. Because a woman had her hair let down was seen as being loose and immoral in some ways. And so women would never dare to let their hair down because of fear of what other people might think about them. And what does Mary do? She not only takes her most expensive possession and pours it on Jesus' feet, the dirtiest parts, and starts to clean it, but she uses her hair. She lets her hair down. If you can imagine in the room, there's probably gasp the moment this, this noble woman in the community lets her hair down. She begins to wipe his feet with her hair, with the thing that the Bible says is the glory of a woman. She takes that and she uses it to clean the lowest part of Jesus. Why? Because she values Jesus more than her cultural norms. She values Jesus more than what other people think about her. She's willing to do what the culture says you don't do. She lets her hair down and she uses it now to do what the culture says you don't do as a Jewish woman. That's clean the feet of someone else. A lot of scholars say most likely the crowd was just silent, stunned she was doing this. And probably silence fills the room with a few gasps on this. But one voice speaks out. and speaks what a lot of them were probably thinking. And that's the voice of Judas. And we see in Judas's critique of what Mary does, what he really values. So look at verses 4 and 5. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this. we come back to verse 6 in a minute. So first of all, I'll just stop there. Judas criticizes Mary. And notice his criticism is cloaked in religious language. We assume that that Judas was fairly well respected. We know, we we look at him and we kind of be like, ugh, bad guy, because we know the other end of the story. Up until this point, no one knew that he was going to betray. He was a treasurer of the disciples. He was one who probably was of good respect among them. And that's a vivid reminder for us, friends, that we can't know someone's heart. Only God can. He could look really religious on the outside, but God knew his heart Look at what God says about him, what Jesus speaks about him in verse six. He said this, this is Judas, not because Judas cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money back, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Remember, Jesus and his disciples were on support. You see in like Luke 8, the people contributed out their means to support this band of disciples and support what Jesus was doing on this. But he was, Judas was the one who took care of the money for that. They didn't have online giving back then. They had little money boxes and people would give contributions. They would go in the box and he would take care of it. And what we find out here is that all the while he's taking money out of it. Realize well, he's taking money out of the money that's been given to Jesus while he's walking with Jesus for three years. While this man is watching Jesus raise a dead man to life, he's taking money. While he's watching water turn to wine, official sons get raised, and lame people by the pool raised, Lazarus comes walking out, Jesus walks on the water, all the while he's just taking stuff for himself and what was given to Jesus. He saw the temple cleanse, and he's still taking from Jesus. Here, Jesus teaches about being the bread of life and being satisfied in him, and he's still taking from Jesus. He hears Jesus talking about being living water and the lie of the world and the resurrection, and he keeps taking from Jesus. And we put on the screen Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He even heard Jesus say these words as well. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He hears Jesus say this, he watches Jesus do what he does, and yet he keeps taking from Jesus. So that's what we see going on in Judas' life. Why did he do that? Ultimately, because he loved money more than he loved Jesus, and it kept him from believing Jesus sees that and Jesus rebukes him. Look back in John 12, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And so we see Jesus rebuke Judas for his hard heart and even highlight the fact that Mary understood that Jesus was on the way to his death. That she understood that she was preparing him for his burial that was to come, but yet she was celebrating who he was. And so he rebukes Judas for not understanding all of those things. Friends, if you think about their legacies, it couldn't be different. Look at Proverbs ten seven; they'll be up on the screen as well. You talk about a contrast right here for us: the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. Think about the connotations in our minds, even in our culture. People are not well church. But the difference we talk about a Judas versus a Mary. Why? Because Mary loved Jesus more than everything else, and her memory is still blessed today because of that. But Judas's memory is still considered rot to people, as Proverbs says, because he valued things more than Jesus. So how does this change us, friends? What do we do with all this? Well, recognize, first of all, this account is primarily about Jesus on the way to his death. That is foremost what's going on here. God is setting in motion the hours come for Jesus to be crucified. And we don't want to lose sight of that. We're going to see that in all that we look at for the months to come as we see Jesus moving towards this this point. But I believe in this example of, of what Mary does with the ointment, what Martha does with her serving. I believe there's two examples for us and two big takeaways in this particular text for our lives. And the first one is, how do we respond when people criticize us for our love for Jesus? Because again, realize here, Mary is showing an act of sacrificial love to her Savior. And what is the first thing she hears? Not, well done, Mary, that's great. She hears someone who is a noble follower of Christ in everyone's eyes, critique her for that, and use religious terms to critique her for that. Friends, I don't know about you, you may have had times in your life, people have criticized you for your lavish love of Jesus. Perhaps you've been mocked by classmates or coworkers because of your devotion to the Lord. Perhaps you've had professors belittle you for your beliefs. You probably have had people trying to pressure you to conform, to be like, man, come on, quit acting like a church person and do this with us. You may have had peer pressure towards those things. Perhaps you've been told to tone it down. Quit being such a religious fanatic on these things. You've probably been tagged as closed-minded or hateful for your stances. And perhaps the scariest ones are when you have other believers tell you, why can't you just be normal? And so friends, if that's you, I hope you'll look to the example of Mary on this. She was criticized by a disciple of Christ and yet she persisted in her love for Christ. She looked to Jesus for strength and she did not let anyone tone down her lavish love for the Lord. If you're in a place where people are trying to tone down your love for the Lord, I wanna give you a challenge and I'm gonna just quote from John Piper on this one. He says, if any voice tells you to moderate our love for Jesus, do not listen. Let your affections for Jesus be lavish. If any voice tempts you to be rich in money, do not listen. Listen. Jesus is your riches, and all that money can buy cannot compare to Jesus. If any voice tells you that his death is anything less than the triumph over death, do not listen. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever believes in him shall never die. So friends, if you're at a place in life where you hit a place in life to where people are trying to pressure you or get you to conform to the world or just trying to get you to tone down your affections for Jesus, don't. Don't let anything in your life be there that you love more than Jesus, But I think for most of us in the room, that's probably not the greatest temptation. I think the greatest danger for us is our own hearts and our own hearts going after things that love that we love more than we love Jesus. And I don't know what it is for you, but again, knowing what we see in this example, this text, it can be money or possessions that we love more than Jesus. It can be our reputation and what others think about us. It could even be friends, our spouse. I can't tell you how much marriage conflict I've seen because a husband or wife loves each other more than they love Jesus. And they put and sell each other on a pedestal it's going to fall because it's a place that only Christ belongs. We can love our kids more than we love Jesus and do great harm to them. We can love our friends more than we love Jesus. We can even love our church and our ministry involvement more than we love Jesus. I don't know what it is for you, but if you see in your heart anything you love more than Jesus, I want to challenge you to ask God for grace to deal with it before it has havoc in your life like we see in Judas's life here. I want to give you a challenge this time from James Montgomery Boyce, if that's you. He's a pastor. He said this, Mary gave her most valued possession, Your most valued possession will be different. It may be a comfortable home, a successful self-image, a bank account, a pension, a family or a dozen other things, but whatever it is, the question holds, could you, would you give it for Jesus? Is there a way you could employ it to serve him or to show your love for him? So friends, whatever it is for you, I believe our text today demands the response for us. Do we value Jesus more than everything else? And if we see anything the Holy Spirit shows in our hearts that we value more than Jesus, family, friends, possessions, reputation, image, fitting in, whatever it is, my challenge to you is we need to repent of that. Because anything that we value more than Jesus is really idolatry. When we think of idols, and we think of what happens in Asia, with people building statues and, and bowing down to them, and that is idolatry. But idolatry is anything we love more than we love Jesus. That means our reputation can be an idol in our life. Our spouse can be an idol in our life. Our kids can be an idol in our life. Our careers, our homes, our home, Anything can come in the way of it. And the enemy is so clever. He's going to try to stir up our hearts to get us focused on those things instead of on Jesus. So friends, if the Spirit of God shows you there's anything in your heart that's rising to a place that only Christ belongs, I challenge you to be quick and repent of that. That's a sin that we all need to repent of when those things come to the surface. And talk to God about that. But what we've been talking about through the last few months with community, don't stop there. Talk to another believer. Find someone you trust in this room. And go to them and say, listen, there's some things that my heart is being drawn to that are not necessarily bad things, but I'm loving them more than I love Christ. And this is dangerous. Would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable in these things and get other believers into your life on these things? And I pray that as we do that, God will begin to free us from the love of all these other things that cloud our love for him. And when we can see him in all of his glory and beauty, I pray it'll transform our lives. Friends, is there anything that we love more than Jesus? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. (coughs) I thank you that your word speaks truth to our lives. And Father, I pray in my own heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, God, that you would guard us from loving anything more than you. Father, the enemy is so clever. Sometimes it's not even bad stuff he throws at us, but he gets us so fixated on the things that are even good gifts from you that we begin to love the gifts more than the giver who gave the gifts. God, would you protect our heart from that? Would you protect our heart from following anything except for following hard? after you. Lord Jesus, you made it so clear in the book of Matthew, when you were asked, what is the greatest commandment? And you said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Second is like, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Father, I pray in my own heart, in the heart of these brothers and sisters, Lord, if our hearts are not loving you supremely, and not loving our neighbor as ourselves, but if we begin to love any of the things we've seen in this text today, whether it is material possessions or reputations or self-image or cultural norms or whatever it may be, God, and your kindness to us, would you open our eyes to that? We might be quick to repent of it. We might be quick to run after you. you. might be quick to seek hard after you and your righteousness. Lord, we can't do that on our own. Lord, we ask through your grace at work in our life, you'd show these things to us. Lord, we want to be a people who are sold out for you, not riding the fence with one foot in the world and one foot in your kingdom. Father, would you give us grace to be a people who love you supremely, who seek first your kingdom and your righteousness above all else. And Father, I pray even this week you'll give us conversations with one another as a community of faith. And when there's things that surface in our hearts that we see, perhaps we don't even see them now, but this week in your kindness to us, you're gonna show us things in our life that we love more than you. I pray, God, we'd be quick to talk to you about it, but we'd be quick to pick up the phone and call a brother or sister in this room and say, would you pray for me? God, show me something in my heart and I need help with it. When I pray that you do that, you'll begin to free us from the things of this world that hinder us and tie us down. And we can say like the old hymn says, may the things of earth grow strangely dim, but in the light of your glorious grace. God, would you give us eyes to see your glorious grace this day? Would you give us eyes to see how majestic and awesome and, and powerful and just wonderful you are? And God, that we'd be all struck by that. That we'd fall on our face in worship of you and we'd give you the best of what we have not just a few minutes in the morning, not just leftovers at the end of the day, but God, we would give you our heart and our soul and our all because you deserve it all. You alone are worthy. God, would you captivate our hearts with those things, Lord, we can't make that happen, but God, you can. And we ask you to do it for your glory and for our joy as well. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?